0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. 11 you, you good? You happy? You like who you're sitting next to? You better pray they don't have influenza. That's all I have to say. My God, let's all move. Actually, it's everywhere, right? Let's pray against the, the flu virus right? No one else is feeling it? Anyone else nervous about it? I'm a hypochondriac, guys. So like if you start coughing, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm immediately assuming I'm dying too. So I'm probably not going to hug any of you today. So if you like the message, just like tell me from far, you know, post it on social media. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't ask for me to shake your hand. I said that 1st or something. like, I'm not going to give hugs. And like three people were like, I know you weren't giving hugs. And they soon, and I'm like, Good pastor, still hugs. And then I immediately went and washed my hands. No offense to the people. It's just influenza. It's a big deal, you know? It's like the new swine flu, but worse. Anybody remember swine flu? About destroyed us. Um, And now influenza A and B is trying to come after our souls. And so we pray against it in the name of of Jesus. Heal everyone from, from influenza A and B. And heal our pastor, Pastor Kelly, who has pneumonia. We're praying for her today and pray for your Pastor Chris because he is the nurse. And I, you know, he could use our prayers. He could use our prayers. Um, Nah, he's amazing. He's a good caretaker. Anyway, you doing good? I'm doing good too. I'm Tracy. And um, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Chris's favorite sister, youngest sister, maybe not favorite. Um, But he is letting me um, share today. So I hope you're excited to hear the word. And um, it's always a great honor to get to talk about Jesus. And, um, and I hope it's an honor for you to come and hear about Jesus. And hopefully God always talks to you and equips you. And I um, hope you find community and family here at Capitol because we love you. And we are so glad you're with us. And if it's your first time, we're really glad you're with us. And we hope you come back next week. All right? How many of you have been coming here for a while and you say, this is my place every single Sunday? Yeah, look at you. Oh my God, we love you so much. Um, All right, if you wanna open your Bibles to Matthew's gospel, it's the first book in the New Testament. It's the easiest one to find. So if you go to Matthew chapter 14, I'm gonna read a few verses to us this morning. You like the Bible? Chapter 14, starting in verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. I forgot, I can look on the screens. While he dismissed the crowds, Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I love this. This is one of the few times in scripture, at least in the in the gospel of Matthew, that we see Jesus by himself. He typically takes, if you see, if you look, look at the rhythm of scripture, especially the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus doesn't go alone by himself very often. He usually takes all the disciples, or at least he'll take Peter, James, and John. So you'll see that a lot. But this is one of the rare moments that we see Jesus by himself. So he says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain. He loves to go up to the mountain. That's a whole message in and of itself, and it's beautiful. Go look into it. Maybe we'll preach it another day. By himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, remember he sent the disciples again. He already sent them in the boat to go to the other side. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. Other translations say tormented by the waves. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch, which would be if you're interested, I'm interested because the fourth watch means means nothing to me. But if you understood what the fourth watch is, it's probably between three and six a.m. So they probably started this journey early in the evening, and now they're in the middle of the night. They've probably been at this for a long time. In the middle of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him, meaning Jesus, walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, I love this Peter. Peter's like, he, he, I would think you would recognize Jesus's voice at this point, you know? You've been with him for a while. Take heart is kind of a common idiom that Jesus used pretty often. Also, it is I. I don't think a lot of other people just went around saying, take heart, it is I. Jesus was one of the few. But more power to you, Peter. You needed more. You needed just a little bit extra to make sure it was Jesus. He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind... When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And, you, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33, and those in the boat, remember the disciples were in the boat still. When, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Would you pray with me this morning, church? God, we thank, you for, we thank you for today. We thank you for January 28th. Lord, we're never gonna have this day again. We're never gonna have this moment again. We're never gonna have these brief moments together again. This is an important moment, a special moment, Lord, that we get to give our time, our energy, our thoughts to you. God, I pray you'd open our eyes to see whatever it is you wanna speak to us about. Open our ears so we can hear what you're trying to say. Open our hearts so that we would receive everything you wanna talk to us about today. Lord, I pray that from this moment on, Lord, it would all it would, it, would, it would completely be about you. It's all about you. Lord, we, we center our eyes, our focus and our attention on you and what you want to say and what you want to do in Jesus name. Amen. We had no football team to pray about. Pastor Chris isn't here to pray about I wonder who he's rooting for the Patriots you think? I have no I, you, I don't understand people's hatred tor- tor- towards Tom Brady. I think you're just jealous about his whole life. You know, he's living his best life. Let's be honest. He's living all of our best life, you know? It's like, you can't be mad at Tom Brady. I just think, haters gonna hate. But anyway, Super Bowl next week, I think. Anyway, uh, if you want a title for this talk, it's called Worth the Risk. Worth the Risk. You like it, you want a risk, you feel risky? Well, that wasn't appropriate. Uh, But it's Worth the Risk. Uh, Hey, so a few years ago, many of you know this, I was pastoring um, in Beverly Hills, California, and um, and it was fun. There was such a great community there. I love City Church now, Church Home. Um, so many amazing people. A part of that community, and and many of you would know. You know of course, there was people who were in the in the industry and in entertainment, movies, television. You know, and uh, there were musical artists. Um, there was people in fashion. People doing everything. But my favorite people that I got a pastor in that community. I mean, I loved them all, but my favorite were the surfers. We had a we had a little group of surfers, professional surfers, not just like recreational surfers, right? But professional surfers. In fact, the one of the one of the reasons I even moved and came and was a part of LA was this one girl. Her name was Kaylea Moniz. She's we, she goes by sister because she's the only girl. She has five brothers, and um, so we call her sis. And um, I met her when I was just visiting um, the Bible study that I ended up helping and pastoring. But she. She was like, you know, didn't she had just moved to LA, she's from Hawaii, she needed a small group and needed someone to pastor. And I was like, oh, I'll pastor a surfer. That sounds fun. I mean, I wake surf, so it's like we have to have a lot in common, right? Uh, so she was my favorite. She was the longboard champ for three years in a row, like world champ, which is not like the Super Bowl world champs because we don't play anyone else in the world. We play ourselves, but we're still the Super Bowl world champs. All right. We'll pray about it. Um, but she's like a legitimate world champ because she travels all over the world, right? The world and, and competes against other people in different countries in the world. You see where I'm going with this? I don't understand the world champion. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so uh, I love Sis. She's so fun. She, um, she was part of my small group, and she had a surf competition in, in Hawaii. And so she was like, hey, can you come? And a bunch of the other girls that I was pastoring were going to be a part of this surf competition. And they're like, hey, can you come? Just hang out with us. Maybe we do some Bible studies. Like, I'm like, my job is amazing, right? I was like, yes, I will fly to Hawaii. Yes, I will sit on the beach and watch you surf. And yes, we'll talk about Jesus at some point. It seems so biblical, Right. On the beach, water, surfing, talking about Jesus. I mean, it just seems like I was right in the text, so uh, it was it was awesome. Um, it was it was really really fun. So we uh, was on Waikiki Beach and watching this surf uh, surf competition, which I didn't understand at all, but it was exciting, you know. And people are cheering, and and you're just sitting on the beach, you know, just enjoying life, living my best life right then and there in Hawaii. Let's all go to Hawaii right now. I lost track of everything because I'm just thinking about Hawaii right now. Anyone want to go? Should we go? Okay, let's go. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was super fun. And so uh, what's also cool is her family owns a surf school right on Waikiki Beach. And so they, te- they teach people to surf all the time. And so here my, my girls, uh, Kaylee and the other surfers, are like, hey, do you want to learn to surf? Like after the competition was done and they were doing photo shoots and stuff. And like they get paid to do this job, which is crazy, right? Um, and they're like, do you want to learn to surf? I'm like, Sure. I mean, why not? Like, this is my great opportunity. I do wake surf, you guys. I feel like um, if I was a professional anything, if I could be, it would be a professional wake surfer because it's the only time I feel most human and my favorite version of myself is in the summer when it's sunny and hot and when I'm on a boat and I'm wake surfing and I'm like pretty good it's not a big deal uh so I've been wake surfing so I thought surfing in the ocean can't be that much different uh so I was like yeah let's let's go teach me to surf so we spent quite a bit of time um not that far off the shore because you don't take people out immediately to the deep dark waters it's scary let's be honest what's out there we will never know And so I'm not that far from shore and they're teaching me the surf, you know, the rhythm, the paddling and like when you got to jump up and where your feet go and all this. And so we spent a good hour probably just like catching little baby waves and literally baby waves because babies were around me. It's like me and the children were all learning to surf together. That's not humbling, you know. Uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, they're like, oh my gosh, you're so good, Trace. Like, you are catching on so quickly. I'm like, really? And they like, yeah, you're like the best. You're like the, you've qu- picked it up quicker than anyone. I'm like, oh my God, it must be the wake surfing. I'm like, called for this. Like, maybe I missed my calling. Like, forget preaching and pastoring. It's exhausting. Let's just surf for the rest of my life, you know? These people got it made. So, um... I was, like, getting pretty confident, let's be honest. I felt pretty good about myself. And, look, I think they were just bored because they're, like, professional surfers, and they were tired of uh, the baby waves. They wanted to get out further to the real waves. So, like, Trace, you got this. You were so good. Like... We probably had a lesson for an hour, you know? Um, And then they go, okay, you're ready. Do you want to go out to the big waves? And I look over yonder where they're pointing and didn't look that far and they didn't look that big really from, you know, it seemed decent, I could do it. I mean, they told me I was like, I picked it up really quickly. They said I was good, okay? I trust them. So I was like, sure, let's do it. So we start paddling out there. What they didn't tell me is the paddling out there would kill you. Like just the paddling to the waves. (laughs) Like no one, no one explained that. Like that, you would be exhausted by the time you got to the wave. That you'd be like, "Ah, I'm good. Can we just get back to shore? Like, does it? How do I get back? Does it just push me back? I don't understand the current and the waves at all. Like, what do I do? So we get out there, and um, and then you know they're just they're professional. They're not really telling you what to do, you know, because they just this is like breathing to them. They've been surfing since they were like. Since they could walk, you know? So like just follow us, like we'll tell you when to go. And I'm like, okay. I'm trying to like remember everything they taught me. Like, okay, you like paddle, paddle, paddle. And then when you feel a little bit of the wave, then you just jump up and you get, you know, you position your feet right and you just catch the wave. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna be so good at this. I'm gonna get like a barrel, you know? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna feel the wave. Me and the wave are gonna be one in the spirit, and I'm just gonna like. I'm just going to be good. And this is going to be amazing. Cause they've already told me how good I was. And so that was in my mind. So all I remember, all I remember was, um, just sitting there chatting. No big deal. Didn't seem like, you know, we're just waiting around and out of nowhere, it was like zero to 60 real fast. They're like, Oh, this one's good. They're like, paddle, paddle, paddle. And they're all screaming paddle. And every girl just starts paddling. And I'm like, wait, I, I don't feel ready for this. Like, I didn't, I, I, and I'm trying to remember everything I'm learning, so I'm paddling, 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 paddling. I'm just following the girls, and they're like, you know, they do this like, like in their sleep, right? So I'm doing pretty good, and I'm like, wait, Trace, you've got this. They told you you're good. You practiced on those baby waves like a couple times at least. <laughs> should, should, should translate, right, to the big wave. So I'm doing super, super good. I start to feel a little bit of push from the wave, and I made the biggest mistake you can make. I turned around, and I looked at that wave. And as soon as I looked at that wave, I was like, it's been a good life. But yeah, it's over. It's done. I don't remember anything they taught me. I don't remember if I had feet and if they moved to a board. I don't know what a surfboard was. I wasn't sure what water was at that point. All I know and all I remember was being pummeled over and over again by these waves. And every time I try to come up to the surface, ah, it pushed me back down and I'm just spinning trying to get up like I don't even think you're moving you know you're like give me to the surface you can't fight a wave right finally clearly because I'm here today finally I came up to the surface like was just grateful to be alive you know and the girls were like that was amazing oh my gosh that was the hugest wave and they're like want to go again and I was like no I don't want to go again like I want to live you guys are mean like who wants to do this But I was fine the whole day until I turned around and I looked at that wave. I had all the confidence in the world. I had learned enough. I probably did have all the skills, at least at that point, to catch. It probably wasn't even that big of a wave. I probably had all that I needed to make a good moment, have a good little surf sesh, and call it good. But the moment I turned around and I looked at that wave was the moment I lost confidence, didn't really realize where I was, didn't understand what was going on, this is a little bit of what hap- what's happening in Matthew's gospel. We have these disciples, right? The disciples are in the boat. Jesus is by himself praying. And, the, and Jesus sends the disciples onto the other side. They just finished a great, I think it was the feeding of the 5,000. They'd just done the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 in the chapter before. And then Jesus says, okay, hey, like go to the other side. Jesus goes to pray. He puts his disciples on this. Now remember this the disciples, many of them, if not all of them, were, were experienced fishermen. They knew the sea. They were, they, they were used to storms, they were used to wind. Th- this wasn't new to them necessarily. But for some reason in this story, uh, the gospel writer Matthew gives us a picture of, of these disciples being terrified of this tormenting wind that's coming after them. Now, they've been trying to get across all night. So imagine this. My paddling experience, surfing, I thought was hard. Uh, try doing that in a boat all night long, right? They probably started early in the evening. Like I mentioned, the fourth watch is about three, between 3 and 6 a.m. So they've been at this for a while. Can you imagine how exhausted and discouraged you would feel? You're not making any headway. Like, that's the most frustrating feeling, isn't it? And they're probably like taking turns, like one a couple disciples are, are trying to paddle until they're exhausted and they, they have to recruit some more, and they're just keep going and going and going. And they're just so frustrated, so exhausted, probably just ready to give up at this point. And then all of a sudden they see what they think is a ghost. So it's like add insult to injury, right? They're already like, we're gonna die out here and we're exhausted. And are you kidding me now we see a ghost? Like this must be the end, right? They're, they're they're feeling that this might be the end, and they see this this what they think is a ghost, but it's really Jesus coming out on the water to them. Well, to be fair to the fishermen, or to the disciples, they were fishermen too. Uh, uh, the 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 sea was a was an interesting. Uh, uh, Evil force in their mind. Like even fishermen didn't like to go in deep waters, and they didn't like to be on the water in a storm, because in this ancient and even in the Jewish world, they believed the sea represented the abyss. It it it's where all hell uh, was dominated. Evil forces were, and in fact, if you died on the sea, they believed it was haunted, and that there would be maybe ghosts and spirits that would come up out into a, a storm that they, like, they inhabited this place. So you gotta be fair to the disciples because this was their irrational fear that they had been raised with, It was that the sea was a scary place. Like all of evil was in the sea. Here's the irony, and this is, this is what's so beautiful. Do you realize, go, go read the gospels after this and see how many times Jesus is preaching by the sea. He walks by the sea, he preaches by the sea, he goes in the sea. Jesus is not, this isn't even in the message, so this is totally free. But just so you know, Jesus is bigger than the evil forces of the sea. Like, how great is that? Like, you should fall in love with your Bible because you will not be afraid of anything when you look at how intentional. Jesus, it's just like, I know you're all, inti- can you imagine the disciples are like, why does Jesus spend so much time by the evil abyss? Because Jesus is like, I'm bigger than the evil abyss. So here are the disciples, they're terrified of the sea, they're, they're freaking out, they're sure they're gonna die, and then all of a sudden they see what they think is a ghost, but it's actually Jesus. Jesus comes walking on the water and there's our guy Peter, good old Peter, right? Uh, and Peter isn't quite sure if it's Jesus. You know, he knows that he, he knows where they are. They're, the wind is tormenting him. The wind is crazy. The storm is going crazy. And so he's just going to make sure, you know, he's going to make sure he thinks it might be Jesus, but he's just going to make sure. So he calls out he's like, well, if it is you, Jesus, you know, if it is call me out to come on the water. So you have this, this, this crazy, I love Peter, right? Peter is this larger than life character in the Bible, He's the one that's, he's real risky, right? He's the one that takes all the risks that we see in the gospels, right? Bless all the other one's hearts, but they don't really take very many risks, do they? John calls himself the beloved, you know? We don't really see John doing all that much to be to be really honest, you know? But he's beloved of the Lord and uh, he writes it about himself. But Peter's the risky one. Peter's the one that's taking risks and, you know, Peter's not always the most wise, you know? Peter's the one that that doesn't think before he acts, he also doesn't think before he speaks. <laughs> he's, he's the one called to, he's told, get behind me, Satan, by Jesus himself. And he's the one that denies Jesus and says, no, I would never do that. And she's like, you will. It's cute that you don't think you will, but you will. But Peter's the best. Because I love Peter because Peter probably, I, I feel the most like Peter than any of the other disciples, right? I'm the one, Peter knows what failure feels like. Peter knows what making mistakes is like. But Peter's willing to risk. Peter's willing to just go, well, I mean, I'm not totally sure, but man, I trust enough that I'm going to make maybe a stupid decision, but maybe it'll work out good. There's just something about Peter. I just like, I like him. I can't, it's like, I feel like people give Peter a really bad rap, but but Peter's actually, I mean, my God, thank God for Peter. At least somebody's doing something, right? So here's Peter, and he's, he's you know, living his he's just out there trying to trying to figure out what's going on in this situation and 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 he's quick to act he 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 thinks okay well I'm not totally sure but this is what Peter would understand if this is Jesus if that was Jesus out there if that's his rabbi guess what he thinks I got to do what my rabbi does that's what they believed like you do what your rabbi does so he's thinking well if that's my rabbi and that's my teacher then then if he's walking on water my god I, I I gotta walk on water because Peter believed that what your rabbi did was what you were supposed to do. So he, he takes a big risk, huge risk for him to step out on that water because if Jesus wasn't who he thought he was, he was gonna sink immediately. But the fact that he takes a step with, a, with just a, with a small risk, actually a huge risk, with a little bit of faith to believe it could or it couldn't be, but I'm willing to find out. Because if that is my rabbi and he's walking on water, I'm gonna walk on water something amazing about Peter, right? So Peter takes this huge risk, steps out of the boat, steps out of the boat. Now, we like to romanticize all these scriptures in the Bible, right? And we probably learned them in Sunday school with a flannel graph that didn't quite paint the right picture, you know what I'm saying? It was like Peter's, went out of the boat on calm waters, right? Like all of a sudden, Peter's like on the flannel graph and like, you know, Jesus is falling off the flannel graph. If you don't know what flannel graph is, you can Google it, Um, but not during the service because that's not right. After the service, there's a flannel graph. Um, you know, anyone know where the, where my old Sunday school people at? Okay. Wow. A lot of you don't know. This is, uh, makes me even more excited. Um, so in Sunday school, you know, you probably learned this or maybe you read this uh, text at some point, but you probably think when Peter stepped out in the water, all of a sudden, oh, that's so cool. He stepped down in the water and it was this serene, beautiful, like picturesque, like sea, you know, it was like glass and you could see the fish like floating below your feet. I, I feel like we've seen pictures of this. I feel like this is how it's, it, it's probably portrayed. Wait, I don't know. I'm reading the Bible, and the Bible never says anything about those winds stopping. In fact, it was still chaotic. If you read the story correctly, Peter steps out into chaos. Jesus called him out into chaos. He didn't call him out into smooth, beautiful, serene, easy waters like... Okay, Jesus is gonna ask me to have faith and he's gonna tell me, take, tell me to take a step out of the boat and this is gonna be easy, breezy, smooth waters. I don't know what Jesus you're serving, but I don't know very many times that Jesus has asked me to take a step of faith and then it was just, oh, I'm gonna line this red carpet out for you and it's gonna be super easy. No, that's, that's not what happened in this text. Matthew makes it clear. He doesn't, the wind doesn't cease yet. He steps out into the chaos. He steps into the wind And he's still walking on water. He steps out of the boat into chaos, into circumstances, into storms, into wind. And he has his eyes on Jesus and he walks and he's walking on water. He takes a huge risk. The boat's probably going crazy. The disciples are like, you are insane. Not only are you, that's a ghost probably. And there's like creatures that are going to grab you and we're all going to die. But Peter, you are insane. What are you doing? But Peter was willing to risk. Peter believed that if it was, in fact, Jesus, it was worth the risk. If, in fact, that was his rabbi, it was worth risking sinking into the water, into the abyss, into the evil forces, because it was Jesus. See, Peter just, Peter gets a bad rap, right? And I've heard many, many uh, preachers preach this text, and, and I could be wrong, and they were right, but today I'm going to believe I'm right. But uh, um, P- Pastor Chris will correct me later, and my dad. My dad's looking at me. First service, he said it was good, so we're good, guys. Theologically sound. Theologically sound. But I've heard a lot of preachers preach on this text, and they were um, like, well, I mean, it was, you know, Peter really lacked his faith. It was all about a lack of faith. And I'm like, yeah, in verse 31, and we'll get to it, Jesus does say, oh, you of little faith. But, but, but I don't think that's the issue or even the, the, the point of the story at all. Because Peter, in fact, had some faith, because he's the one that got out, in, out of the boat into the water. I'm just going to ask a question. What were the other 11 doing? What were the 11 disciples doing? Peter got out in the boat. So if your argument is, well, man, yeah, Peter just lacks faith, little faith. Okay, well, I'll take that argument, but I'd rather be like Peter who had a little faith and some faith than this 11 disciples who had what? Zero faith, sitting in the boat, scared for their life, right? At least Peter had some faith. At least Peter was willing to risk at least he was—he—he he, he saw Jesus was worth the risk. The other disciples probably thought, "My God, Peter stepping out on water is insane! What are you doing?" Peter just saw Jesus. He saw the Rabbi, and he knew—he knew he had to at least find out if it was Jesus. He took a huge risk by walking out on that water. His eyes were set on Jesus, and that's why he could walk. But what happened? The moment Peter's eyes went from focused on Jesus to looking at the wind and the storm and the sea and the chaos and the abyss that might be there and you know the evil forces that might surround him and the circumstances that were around him, all of a sudden Peter sinks. That's when Peter sinks. Is when he took his eyes off Jesus. It wasn't a lack of faith. It was his focus change. It's when he took his eyes off the power, the power source, which is Jesus, and he put it on the circumstances and he put it on the problems and he was focusing on the wind and the storm and the things that were coming at him. The moment he took his eyes off Jesus is the moment. He he didn't have any power anymore. Isn't this what we do every single day? You are gonna feel really good in church today. I hope you do because you should, right? And you're gonna feel Jesus, and you're like, you praise and you were worshiping, and you're listening, you know, you're sitting here listening to a message, and you're reading the text, and God's probably speaking to you, and you're gonna feel really great. And then you're gonna walk outside these doors, and something might happen from, from right here to the, even to the, to the point that you get in your car. Your husband drives you crazy, your wife drives you, Lord knows, your kids are driving you insane. And you want to go to Red Robin, and your husband wants to go to the bees, and no one can agree, and all hell breaks loose, and your children are screaming, and they want Chick-fil-A, but my God, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday, the only day you want to go. We love Jesus just still be open on Sunday, you know? It's like, oh, my God, Chick-fil-A, you know? It's like something's going to happen between right now and 5 p.m. tonight, or 2 o'clock this afternoon. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, oh my gosh. You're going to forget everything that happened when you came into the presence of Jesus and you were worshiping, we were agreeing in prayer with Pastor Mark, with the people, the needs in our church, and you were listening to the message and God said something to you and you felt good and things were good, but something's going to happen, right? It's not circumstances, it's your focus. Because all of a sudden, that stuff just got bigger and stronger and more important and more magnified than the thing that's the most important, that's Jesus, that's what happened to Peter. Peter just let his focus change. He had enough faith. It wasn't about his faith. It was about his focus. Because it's not about the wind and the storm and the chaos of your life. It's all about Jesus. It always is and it always will be. There will be nothing that's more important than Jesus. Jesus is not just the answer to your problem. Jesus or doesn't just have the answers, Jesus is the answer. He's just the answer. And I feel like a lot of, I mean, I do this all the time. I go to God in prayer when it's like my heart's heavy and, you know, you got a lot of things you got to think about and pray about and, you know, everything's going wrong. you got to figure out work. you got to figure out finances and relationships and all these things are going on. And, of course, you go to God in prayer and you're like, Jesus, give me the answers. Jesus, I just need answers. Like, help me to know what, you know, right decision to make and let me know what I'm supposed to do in this. And these are all good things to do and I hope you do it. I hope you pray but I hope you're not just looking for answers. I hope that your heart is more about looking at the answer. I hope the most important thing about you is not getting Jesus to do what you want him to do, but I pray and my hope and my dream for all of us is that the most important thing about us is Jesus himself. That's the most important thing about you. What Jesus does for you is not the most important thing. It won't be the most important thing. What the most important thing forever and always and forever will be is Jesus and Jesus himself. And Peter took his eyes off the most important thing and he redirected it and focused it on the wind and the chaos and the circumstances and the stuff that goes on every single day in our everyday ordinary lives, right? And then all of a sudden, that wind seemed stronger and that chaos seemed more chaotic and that storm seemed like impossible to get through. Not because it got any stronger or worse or anything else happened. Circumstances never did change. It just meant my eyes were wrong. My focus was wrong. My attention was wrong. And so then we have, then Peter, you know, he starts to sink. And in verse 30 and 31, it says, but when, when, the, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him and saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I love this here. Jesus' words, it's a a beautiful combination of of rebuke and encouragement. He rebukes him a little bit, but he encourages him. See, I don't think this text and this story is about the lack of faith. The Bible is actually pretty explicit. Jesus himself says all you need actually is faith of a mustard seed. That's the smallest seed you can find, by the way. And if you planted that mustard seed in the ground, this is the irony. And Mark's gospel, I think, describes it the best. Uh, if you put that mustard seed in the ground and that, and that mustard seed, you know, you watered it. I don't really understand anything about agriculture, so something great's going to happen at some point. Like sun, and I hated science, I don't know. Something's going to happen with the sun and water and moisture and I don't know what else. And then there's going to be a tree, right? At some point, years later, there's going to be a tree. Mark's gospel describes that that seed produces a huge tree. A tree so big, the branches are so big that tree, birds make their home in those trees. That's a good-sized tree, so I don't think the issue is you got to have big faith. And I hear these messages, and I hope you do have big faith. I think God will work with little faith. I think He just wants to work with some faith. But I don't think the story here is about faith or the lack of faith. That's not what it's about. I think we've we've misread it or misunderstood it in some ways. It seems to be because He seems to have faith because when he sinks, he says, "Lord, uh, uh, like, can you save me?" So he believes in Him. So it's not about a lack of faith or no faith or what what's happening here and Jesus doesn't scold him Jesus doesn't scold Peter for uh you know not 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 having enough faith to walk on water because he does he walks on he doesn't reprimand him for fearing the wind Jesus doesn't do this just Jesus so lovingly corrects he just lovingly corrects and he asks this question why did you doubt he just lovingly corrects him he says Peter why did you doubt you had enough faith. You stepped out on the water. You risked everything. And then all of a sudden, why did you doubt? See, this is the issue, I think, for every single one of us. I don't think this generation needs more confidence. We've got plenty of that, right? This is not something we need to preach more of. My God, we got enough confidence. I think sometimes we need to pre- preach less confidence, more Jesus, okay? It's not about you. It's about him. It's not confidence that's the issue. It's the focus that's the issue. Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt when God does the things that he's asked you to do and you take a step of faith and then it gets shaky and it's uncomfortable? Why do you doubt? Because your eyes aren't on, aren't on him. Your eyes shifted to circumstances and things and well, it's not, as, it's not as smooth as I expected it to be and God just hasn't like, you know, just figured it all out for me in the very second that I stepped out of the boat. It's like, yeah, because he doesn't do that. He's gonna take you on a journey when you take a step of faith. And you gotta keep your eyes on him, focused on him, directed on him. Not giving up, you're not letting your, your attention wander, go this way or that way. But it's hard, right? So we doubt. The moment things get rough, we doubt. The moment things don't pan out the way we think that it should pan out, we doubt. The moment things are like, ah, not, not my idea, not my will, we doubt. Because we've shifted our focus from the person of Jesus. Your circumstances are always gonna scream in your face. Chaos is always going to be around. Things are always going to happen in our life. It's inevitable because you're human and you live in a broken world. But one thing will remain the same, Jesus. Stable, immovable, unchangeable, good, awesome, majestic, powerful, in control, Never, never anxious or worried. My God, he doesn't even need to sleep. We could use, we could use somebody in our world who doesn't even need to sleep. He wa- in fact, he watches over us when we sleep. Super creepy and awesome all at the same time. Our eyes have to be focused on him. Why do we doubt? Or here's the better question. How do we stop doubt? How do you stop it? I'll tell you. You just get your eyes on Jesus. You take a big step of faith. God tells you to do something and go, okay, it seems super weird and I'm stepping into the chaos and God, you're calling me out in the chaos and I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna keep my eyes on you. Isaiah 26, three says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. This word stayed here from the Hebrew means firm purpose. Firm purpose, like, I'm not, have, have you ever tried to keep your mind focused on something and then it wanders and then it wanders and you're like, no, I'm going to keep it stayed here. Stayed is a firm purpose. Like I don't care what tries to come and take away my peace. I am going to just keep my mind stayed. It's not going anywhere. I'm not, kids aren't going to distract me. My spouse isn't going to distract me. My work's not going to distract me. My health isn't going to distract. Nothing's going to distract me. My mind is stayed. And that's how I find perfect peace. And then Colossians says, and these are such great scriptures, and I love quoting them personally. And then Colossians goes on and tells us that you set your mind, set your minds on things that are above. Apostle Paul tells us, Pastor Paul, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I quote that scripture over myself: set your mind, set your mind, keep your mind stayed, and you'll be in perfect peace. Right? I I, I pray these things over me all the time because I want to have my mind focus on Him. The problem is. Here is the saddest thing I'm going to tell you all day, but then we're going to tell you something really great. And I stole this research from Pastor Chris, but he steals a lot from me, so it's fair. Sibling rivalry, it's good. Uh, just don't tell him that I stole it. Nah, I don't care if you do. Okay, he, there's this research that came out in 2000. It said uh, that the, the average attention span of a human, like all of us sitting in this room, because you're human, are you human? Yeah, you're all human. Okay, just checking. Um, the average attention span that we all have from 2000 was 12 seconds. So you can say focus on something for 12 seconds in 2000, right? Oh, it's so depressing. Oh yeah, it gets worse. So now they're saying, that was 2000, now they're saying the last couple of years, I think the research changed, and now they say the average attention span of you and I sitting in this room is eight seconds. Eight seconds. A goldfish, however... A flippin' little goldfish. Attention span is nine seconds. You and I, eight. A goldfish, nine. Be depressed, be depressed. I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> yeah, and I know we talk about, oh, social media. Yeah, probably. Probably just the habits in our life. We're great multitaskers, we can get a lot of things done, but do we really ever get anything done? Like you get it to the end, you're like firing all, all cylinders. What does that mean? I don't know. It's just a phrase people use, so I'm using it. Uh, but like you're doing all these things, right? You're spinning all these plates. Is that another one? Is that another one, guys? You're doing all these things. You're multitasking, and by the end of the day, you're like, "What did I even do? Did I even did I even accomplish anything? I feel like I did a lot of little things, but I didn't do one thing well, right? You ever feel like that? It's because you can't set your mind. You can't stay. You can't focus. Like, try reading your Bible without going and checking your phone through one chapter. Try praying without your mind wandering for a little bit and thinking about all the things you got to do that day. Oh, no, okay, go back to prayer, Lord, back to prayer. And then you think that's the Lord speaking to you. No, it's not. It's the devil distracting you. Probably not even the devil. It's just you having bad, distracted habits, right? We can't even keep our minds focused on Jesus, and it's this, it's, it's this sort of sad reality in this research. We have eight seconds. You've probably checked and tuned me out so many times. If it's every eight seconds, my God, have you even heard anything I've said? Probably a third of it. But let's be honest, I've probably only heard about a third of it too, if I'm checking out every eight seconds. So I hope it's been good. I don't even know because every eight seconds I blank and I think about something else. Don't worry, the goldfish probably heard more than all of us put together. So we can always contact them after. This is the problem, though. Our minds just can't, we just, we've, we've created bad habits. And so it's difficult for us to, to tell ourselves in chaos and in storms and in wind, and when difficulties come and rise, you're just like, oh, God, oh, I can't. It seems impossible to step out onto the water. It's just, oh, my God, I can't imagine, you know, this is just too much. Well, of course it is, because you haven't taught yourself, you haven't disciplined yourself to keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says this in the message translation. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's good, right? Who both began and finished the race you're in. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who began and finished. You know why I like the scripture? It's because I think about anything that I'm going to do that's difficult, I have Jesus who's already done it. One thing I never want to do in my life, by the way, is cl- like climb Mount Everest, you know? Like, that's not on my bucket list. That just seems like a waste of my energy and time, right? I don't want to be cold. I don't want to lose limbs. I don't want to potentially die on Mount Everest, okay? People love to do this. More power to them, right? But if you're going to go and climb Mount Everest or do one of these great climbs, especially in a da- like if there's dangerous terrain, you're always going to have a veteran in the lead. You're not going to go do this on your own. You're not going to be some rookie who never trained and just got off your couch and decided to climb Mount Everest, you're gonna have a veteran in the lead. They're gonna be in the front. And if I was on that mountain and I'm following a veteran, you know, you better believe, I'm gonna watch every step they take and I'm gonna take that step. If they're not gonna do anything, I'm not doing it. If they do something, I'm doing it. I'm gonna follow every single thing that veteran has done because that's gonna keep me safe. I'm gonna live and I'm gonna make it to the top and I'm gonna tell everybody about it and hopefully I'll make it back down. I don't even know but I'm going to watch everything that veteran does. You know who Jesus is? He's your veteran leader. He's the one that's come before you. He's already encountered everything you'll ever experience. All you have to do is keep your eyes on him. Do what he does. Say what he says. Take the steps he takes. Don't go where he doesn't go. Don't do what he doesn't say. Don't do what he doesn't do. You want to follow Jesus, you keep your eyes on the veteran leader. And where he goes, you go. What he says, you say. And then all of a sudden, you're gonna find your mind so at peace because you're just looking at the leader. You're like, I don't know how to do this, but my God, Jesus does. He knows what he's doing. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be anxious. I know it's still stormy and just, God is calling me out into some deep, crazy, chaotic waters, but I know I can do it because the veteran's before me and I'm just gonna step out. I'm gonna keep my eyes on him and things are gonna come around me and the wind is gonna feel strong and chaos is gonna come and things are gonna distract you and things are gonna wanna pull you away from your attention on Jesus. But let me tell you something, friends, when you keep your eyes on him, the storm doesn't seem so stormy. And the chaos doesn't seem so chaotic. And all of a sudden, peace will overwhelm you. It's amazing how you will feel peace in the midst of a storm when your eyes are on Jesus. You don't have peace in your life? Where are your eyes? Where's your focus? Because he promises he's peace. So if you don't have it, it's not because there's a lack of it or Jesus isn't with you. It's because your eyes and your attention are not on him. And he's just waiting for you. He's on the water looking at you like, I know you're scared. I know this seems hard. I know that sometimes I ask you to do things and it seems impossible, but I'm right here. I'm gonna take your hand, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna guide you, you're gonna get through this. That's all the greatest part of the story. It's all great. It's not my favorite part though. My favorite part is the very end when Peter sinks into the water and Jesus, you know, helps him up and gets him. and. And then all of a sudden they get into the boat and the wind ceased. And those, it says in in the last chapter, the last verse it says, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Do you know that this is the first time we see in Matthew's gospel that the disciples worshiped Jesus, that they actually saw Jesus for who he was. Before this, they believed he was a great man, probably great rabbi, a great prophet, a great healer. They wanted to believe he's the Messiah. They're following him. But they hadn't worshiped him yet. All of a sudden the disciples saw Jesus for who he really was. Why? Because a guy named Peter took a risk. I don't know if the disciples would have seen Jesus the way they saw him that day if it wasn't for the crazy guy, Peter, who sometimes just did things before he thought it through and said things before he really knew if it was a good idea to say it, but he was so willing to worth risk at all to show people Jesus. People worship Jesus because of Peter's risk. We don't risk for risk's sake. We risk for people's sake. We risk for the sake of people. Now, if you're a part of capital, I'm sorry to tell you, our mantra will and forever be Jesus for the people. Jesus for the people. Now, you can't be a part of the church like this and have that as your your, 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 uh, what do we call it? It's not a slogan, but it's like a what? A mission statement. Thank you, Pastor Ken. A mission statement. You can't have that as your mission statement and 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 just think like, oh, okay, well, I can live my own life, do whatever I want to do, and you know, and just hopefully people will notice. No, we're Jesus for the people. Sorry to tell you, if you're part of capital, that means you're gonna have to show people Jesus through your life. And through your chaos and through your storms and Whatever is going on in your life, you still got to show people Jesus because we're Jesus for the people. So here's the crazy thing about it. Your risk is not about you. It's not even about your life and what you want to do. You know what it's about? It's about showing people Jesus. Your risk might be the only way someone is going to eventually worship Jesus and know Jesus and encounter Jesus and fall in love with Jesus and be freed and rescued and delivered because of Jesus. Because it's worth the risk. It's worth it. It's worth the risk. It's worth it to step out of the boat and not be sure. And it might be chaotic and it might not feel good. It might not be what you want, but it's worth the risk because we're Jesus for people. It's not about us. It's not about my dreams. It's not about what I want. It's about Jesus. And it's about Jesus rescuing people. That's what the whole Bible's about. It's about Jesus' rescue operation plan. It's about his mission for the world. It's just about Jesus loving people and showing him, hi, I know it's tough and I know you've got a lot going on, but I'm the one that can bring you peace. I'm the one who can bring you life. I'm the one that can sustain you and bring you joy. Everything you need and want is in me, Jesus. Jesus for the people. That's the most important part of this whole story is that Peter's risk, Peter's willingness to risk it all was what showed people Jesus. I wanna show people Jesus. I don't wanna risk so people are like, oh my God, you get to walk on water, that's amazing. Yeah, it's great. we got to do great things for the kingdom. That's not why I wanna do it. I wanna do it because there's broken people, because there's hurting people. There's people who need Jesus and you know him, but you don't keep your eyes on him. In your chaos, you can preach Jesus more than your peaceful moments more than your best days. It's in your storm that people see Jesus. I wanna show Jesus to Boise and to Idaho and to the ends of the earth. I don't wanna show them me. and I don't wanna even show them that I can walk on water. I just want them to go, my God, Jesus is so good. He delivered you from that. He rescued you from that. You, you trust him for that. That's what I want, because we're Jesus for the people. This is the call that God has called each and every one of us to as Jesus followers. It's worth the risk. It always will be. And if the band wants to come up, you know, I think think many times Jesus does ask us to do things that seem impossible, right? Maybe he's asking you right now to do things in your life that seem impossible. Here's the thing. And you know, you might have these questions in your head, but I might fail, I might sink, I might not do it well, or I'm not really sure if it's Jesus, like I can't really tell, is this God speaking to me? Or is this just me, what's going on? Here's the risk, here's the risk, you might fail. You might, you might risk it all and fail. Or just maybe, you're gonna get out of that boat and you're gonna walk on water with Jesus. And you're gonna show people who Jesus really is. Just maybe your risk and the things you're trying to do in your life and your heart is what somebody outside these walls is waiting for. I was so convicted this week. Like I saw, ran into two girls that I've been talking to about Jesus for years. Neither of them have accepted Jesus yet or even come to church and I've tried multiple times. And I, you know, you get discouraged with some that you just keep trying. And I was kind of annoyed, like, why don't they just wanna come, you know? Like we're friends, they like me, they think I'm cool. Like, why wouldn't they come to church with me, you know? And then all of a sudden I walked away, I was in my car and I was praying for them. And I felt like it, Jesus just convicted me, like maybe your life isn't risky enough that they'd wanna follow Jesus. Maybe you haven't shown them enough of who Jesus is. Maybe it's maybe it's not them and their receptiveness. Maybe it's you and your riskiness. Maybe you just, maybe your life's just too risk-free. Maybe they need to see you in the storms and, and all the things and you just keep pointing at Jesus and looking at Jesus and focusing on Jesus and giving your all to Jesus. Maybe what people are waiting for is not, for you to invite him to church or you to talk to him even about Jesus. Maybe they're actually waiting for you to show them Jesus because your eyes are so set on him that they're like, my God, I want that. My life is not, is not peaceful and not centered and not good, but whatever you have, my God, that's what I want. Maybe that's what our life needs to be about. Risking for people. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be Jesus for the people. That's our, that's our mission. That's our heart. And if it is truly who we are, then we're going to truly live it out this year in a new, dramatic way that will shake this city. They're going to, we're going to shake them. We're going to shock them. We're going to surprise them. Pastor Chris always says, we're going to shock the city with our generosity. I think we're going to shock them with our risk-taking too. We're just gonna be like those crazy people at Capitol. Things keep happening over there because my word, they just believe in Jesus. This is what's gonna happen when we trust him. We risk it all for him. It is worth the risk, family. It's worth the risk. Stepping out of the boat is worth the risk. Would you stand with me today? It's worth the risk. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.